Every day during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street has been calling up readers and book lovers from around the world and asking them how they're coping with these strange times, what they've been reading, what they'd recommend, and what they have coming up. Today I'm joined by the Hugo Award-winning author of River of Teeth, Magic for Liars, and Upright Women Wanted, Sarah Gailey, who joins me from somewhere in North America. Hello, Sarah. Hi, it is so wonderful to be talking to you today. And to you too. How are you? I am uh, completely a pancake, as I think all of us are. I just wanted so badly to say I'm doing great, but I feel like uh, everyone would see right through that. I am as well as can be expected, given the collapsing state of society. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Sort of at least haven't turned into sort of like a, a, a cannibal zombie just yet. I make no promises. (laughs) <laughs> so tell me, how, how are you coping? I mean, one, one thing I've found when I talk to people right now is that everybody's living in this kind of fog because there are all these terrible things happen- happening. Whenever the, you turn around, there's another terrible thing, and it never seems to end. Sort of, Are you able to, to read, to work, to focus? Uh, on and off. I will say that you know I, I learned something really fascinating the other day that's made it a lot easier for me to deal with that sort of sense of gray mushiness to the days and weeks and months, which is that apparently um, the the human brain mostly responds to and forms memories around novelty. And so a mm-hmm. lot of us are feeling like all the days and months and weeks are, are really blending together into a mush because there's so little novelty and the novelty that there is, is very external to our day to day Uh, life, right? I'm walking around the same rooms in my home every single day. My brain only sees new things when they're on the internet or when they're news from, from friends. Um, And so it's, it's been a comfort to realize that part of why we all feel so tired, but also like time is meaningless is just because we're not getting, you know, exciting new shiny things for our monkey brains to grab onto. Um, So I've been coping mostly by trying to find ways to introduce novelty into my life which is Mm -hmm. easy right now because uh, my household is planning a move. But Mm -hmm. beyond that has been very much about, you know, like when I walk my dog through my neighborhood, finding plants that are starting to bloom that weren't before or art that people are putting up in my neighborhood, um, finding ways to make one day different from another instead of letting myself fall into a routine that then eats my brainstem. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> what, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I do. Um, and I, I mean, I've also found that when I talk to people right now, you know, one of the answers I get back when I say, like, how are you coping? Is I say, like, well, as a writer, I'm used to working indoors. Uh, I'm wor- used to being by myself. I'm used to ha- being that isolated person. And yet this isn't that, is it? I mean, like, first of all, you have people at home all the time now. And also you have to be in. You know, it's not like you've got a choice. Yes, it, it actually is has been really difficult for me to write this past uh, seven months or so. My, my family went into quarantine early because we kind of read the signs and mm-hmm. uh, where multiple people in my home are immunocompromised. So we kind of closed our doors in February. Um, and it's been extremely difficult to write, both because of just as you said, everybody's home now. So I don't have that time alone where I kind of just shut everything out. I I always have people around. And also because there's, this is something that I have such a hard time acknowledging. And my, my poor beleaguered therapist is like, please acknowledge this. 
there's emotional stress day to day on all of us that is putting just weight on our ability yeah. to be creative. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the outlining stages on a novel right now. And it's such a struggle because I sit down and try to come up with ideas and my brain just goes, no, I'm spending all my ideas on trying to stay alive. Like, what do you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you in these strange and difficult times, are you reading? What are you reading? And critically, is it any good? I am, I'm reading a ton. I, the first couple of months, I had such a hard time reading um, and focusing on anything. And then I shifted my attention to reading things that um, I can just sink into and like let them pull me along kind of by the ankles nonstop. So I've been doing a kind of reading that I haven't done in a long time where I'm reading a book in a day. I'll, I'll sit down wow. in my reading chair and my dog will try to climb into the chair with me, which is hard because she weighs 50 pounds, but she'll try to do it <laughs> so that I'm kind of hemmed in and I'll just sit and read like, at least three quarters of a book. Um, And the one that I've been kind of thinking about and talking about nonstop lately is a book called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. It's a really brilliant book. It's, it's nonfiction. It's um, partially a memoir of the author and partially a biography of a biologist and taxonomist named David Starr Jordan, who, um, you know, mm-hmm. Miller goes through his life and his work in a way that I've never seen before. This book basically does something where it, it presents you with the story of someone's life and says, okay, so you understand, here's the story of this person's life. Here's who this person is. Great. You've got it. And then she adds another layer of information onto that life and says, look at that life again and reevaluate that person and reevaluate the story you built in your head around them. And she does that again and again and again through this book, which is why I'm encourage I would encourage anyone who wants to read it not to learn too much about the subject beforehand. If you already know things about David Starr Jordan and you're saying to yourself, "I'm sorry, why should I read a book about this man?" Um, please know that <laughs> Miller approaches him with just this brilliant level of insight and nuance and critique. Um, content warnings for mentions of child abuse and violence mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, violence against disabled people, but it's, it's a really incredible book. And it was one of the ones that broke me out of my reading slump because I I sat down with it and I started reading it and then I just didn't put it down. I, I, I was supposed to make dinner that night and I turned to my partner and I was like, I'm not doing anything except for reading this book. (laughs) Um, You've got to figure out how we're all going to (laughs) eat. I've also been reading a ton of YA romance and contemporary YA. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the ones that I loved recently was Camp by Elsie Rosen, which is the story of a, a, a summer camp for LGBTQIA teens. And one of those teens who decides that he's going to change how he acts and presents himself in order to win the heart of the boy he's had a crush on for years and years. And it's an, it's an incredible book about queerness and identity and the way that inside of queer communities identities are are policed and also just a really lovely romance it's very satisfying it's very kind to the reader which i value right now um Mm -hmm. and then i also kind of on the on a different ya track and tone really just 
cannot highly enough recommend On the Come Up, which is Angie Thomas's new book um, about a girl who is trying to make it in the underground rap scene in her city. Okay. And that is, I mean, it's got, it's got that classic, I shouldn't say classic. It's got that, that Angie Thomas feel of um, honesty and confrontation and kindness and creativity and curiosity kind of all wrapped up into a really brilliant narrative that questions a lot of things about the way um, America treats black teenagers. I, I loved it so much. And it's also the first book I've ever read where the author wrote a song in the book that got stuck in my head. <laughs> Something that no one was ever going to say about Tom Bombadil. Um, <laughs> oh my God. So, <laughs> so you're reading a lot of YA and getting immersed in that. And of course, you know, this must, does this tie into, to, uh, I mean, do you normally read a lot of YA because, or does it tie, tie into, you know, you've just had your own YA novel come out earlier this year in, you know, with, uh, when we were magic. Um, does it tie into that experience? Did you start off like looking to learn more about YA or is just what you've been reading anyway? You know, I kind of go in cycles with the genres. Um, I've, I've always read plenty of YA. I think it's a, a, brilliant genre that brings a lot of emotional integrity to narratives that sometimes in adult fiction we we kind of try to find a sense of um immunity from emotion in some adult fiction where we're like no no we don't feel that feelings we just think about stuff and i think that ya does a really good job of reminding us as readers and as writers that emotions actually govern a lot of our decisions. <laughs> um, but I, I do go in cycles where, you know, I'll, I'll blast through a bunch of YA romance or a bunch of YA fantasy. And then all of a sudden something in my brain will go, no, what I need now is to read about like suburban white ladies who are having problems with their husbands. And I'll like blast through a bunch of books <laughs> about that. Um, I'm a very intuitive reader. I, I find that, you know, the thing that I need most is books that'll kind of suck me in really intensely and then spit me back out again. Um, and I, I, I wish that I could be focused enough as an author to read in ways that intentionally nurture what I'm trying to write. But really, it just feels like my brain is like a Labrador retriever going through <laughs> a kitchen cupboard that got left open. And it's just like, I want this. I want this. I want this. So it certainly sounds like for you as a reader, the response to, to the times we're in is immersive reading those kind of stories you can fall into. Um, are there older books that you look back on that seem you know, like a, a wonderful thing to, to look back to? Uh, I find a lot of people are going back to familiar you know, books right now. I mean, I know you were saying that you are responding to novelty, and I can understand that completely. But there's also, I think, a comfort in, in knowing what you're getting right now. Oh, definitely. Um, I actually, right before, right before we kind of vacuum sealed our apartment, I revisited the Hunger Games, the original mm -hmm. trilogy. Um, yeah. I I revisited it after reading an article that I wish I could remember who wrote it right now, but my brain is made of holes; it's just perforated. Uh, but it was this article about the original Hunger Games trilogy and how much of it was informed by Suzanne Collins' conversation with, I believe, her father about his experience in Vietnam and yeah. how she wanted to write about the way that media crafts narratives, 
by putting young people in danger and by traumatizing generations and Mm -hmm. how much, how many of the, the tactics that she used in the, in the hunger games narrative were based in reality. And I was like, huh, you know, the last time I read these books, I was a teenager and I couldn't remember quite that much complexity. Right. The thing I remembered is what I think we culturally often remember, which is like, Oh, there's a love triangle. Um, especially since that was reinforced so heavily by the films. So I went back and reread that original trilogy and I reread all three books in like four days. And that was before I was doing this like very immersive Labrador retriever reading. Um, mm. And they're freaking incredible. I mean, <laughs> the, there's, I, I wrote a, a piece on this for medium um, that was mostly about the way that our current U S government is using trauma to help control the country um, and is repeatedly traumatizing citizens in order to maintain power. But also, you know, in the process of like researching and preparing for that article, I got to just not just do my devouring revisitation of those books, but also do kind of a deep dive into them. And they're just brilliantly crafted. They're brilliantly written. They're compelling. They're honest. They're, they're, amazingly nuanced about the cost of violence, especially on children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also will put in a, a plug for the prequel, which I got a chance to read, which a lot of people were roasting earlier this year for being about a young Coriolanus Snow, who is the president in the original trilogy. Um, and a lot of people were saying like, we don't need a story that tries to make him sympathetic, but I will say that that prequel does incredible work, not only on, on confronting the person who he is, but on demanding accountability from a society who makes like young white men into monsters, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is something that the U S especially needs to reckon with right now. Well, let me ask you this. You've been reading, you've been writing, you've been working, you've had books out. So let me ask, what do you have coming out in the world at the moment? Oh, oh gosh. So I, I just, as you mentioned earlier this year, had my young adult debut when we were magic come out. I also had a novella from tour.com called Upright Women Wanted come out. Um, when we were magic is the story of a group of teen girl best friends who have magic powers and have to try to deal with the consequences of one of them accidentally murdering a boy on prom night. And Upright Women Wanted is the story of a group of queer anti-fascist spy librarians on horseback in the near future fascist <laughs> American Southwest. And uh, in the near future, in February 2021, may we all yep. live to see it. I have a, a novel coming out from Tor called The Echo Wife, which is the story of a brilliant scientist who divorces her husband when she discovers that he has stolen her technology in order to marry a cloned version of her who he made to be a less threatening version of her. Mm-hmm. There's some fallout. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you also have a, a very powerful story out at the moment in We Don't Talk About the Dragon. Yes, in the incredible anthology that um, some brilliant person put together. <laughs> well, let me ask you, since we're here together, where, where did that story come from? Oh, my goodness. So um, for listeners who haven't already read it, We Don't Talk About the Dragon is the story of a a, a girl who becomes a young woman whose family has a dragon chained up in the barn and they have to feed the dragon, but they're also not ever allowed to talk about it or about the fact that they feed it or about the difficulties of feeding it. 
And it's very much a story about abuse. It's a, it's a story about the secrecy that comes with abuse and the way that um, people who are in abuse dynamics internalize this idea that you can't talk about what's going on and that there's no other way for things to go. Um, as someone who has lived in abusive situations before, I, you know, drew on a lot of like personal stuff for the story. It, it might be one of the most personal stories I've ever written, but I also drew on a lot of kind of well-established, almost cliche abuse dynamics. It feels weird to say that there are abuse dynamics that are cliche, but I feel like uh, people who are familiar with them will know what I mean, where you, you feel like you can't say anything. You feel like you can't say anything because you're not allowed. And also you can't say anything because what's the point? It won't change anything. Um, and I wanted to write a story that was about the way something as huge as a dragon that you have to keep hidden and feed can feel almost mundane and routine. And also about what happens when you finally say, actually something has to be different about this. Yeah. I think it is also a great example, and I love the story for all sorts of reasons. I mean, I find it a very tense, dark, foreboding story in many ways, but I really, really loved it. But what I found interesting was it talks to, as well, in a way, to how there are these tropes, these symbols in our field that you can do almost anything with, that there's no limit to what your imagination can turn them to if you're dealing with these almost primal kind of parts of, of fantasy in this case. Well, I think that's uh, one of the brilliant things about a concept like the book of dragons anthology is that, you know, a, a dragon can mean so many things. We've got even just, just the word dragon conjures up so many different images to so many different people based on cultural backgrounds and kind of media exposure. Um, a dragon is something that I think is so enormous mm -hmm. that we have to personalize it in many ways and, or we have to deify it. Right. So that makes it malleable into something that you can just project a story onto. And you can also bring it into a story in so many invitational or confrontational ways. I couldn't agree more. Well, look, uh, Upright Women Wanted and When We Were Magic are both out in the world now. Echo Wife will be out in the new year. But for the moment, Sarah Gailey, thank you so much for making time to talk to me today. I've genuinely enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. And it is good to get to talk to you, even if we cannot do that in person for maybe a million years. A million billion years, but someday. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Hey, everybody. We try to avoid rampant commercialism here on Cood Street, but I'm in the middle of doing something special. Right now, I've got a new book out, The Book of Dragons. I'm proud of it. I love it. And I'm delighted to say that for US listeners, we are giving away 10 copies in conjunction with Harper Voyager. If you would like to be in the sweepstakes to win a, your own copy of The Book of Dragons, hardcover, wonderful illustrations by Ravina Kai, and some great stories, including by Brooke Bolander, Daniel Abraham, and others, please go to the show notes, sign up, and you could get your own free copy. And thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting the book and for supporting the podcast.